Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. New rule. If you think you're a fucking wise guy, you think you're a fucking douchebag, what are you fucking... I can't live with you. Yeah, insane. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the new place seems pretty cool. Um, Hold on, I'm going to go get a pillow real quick for my, my posture. I am like hunched pretty hardcore to be able to hit the mic. Yeah, that's a good reminder for posture correction. Yeah, I'm lounging. I'm just yeah. leaning back. Slumping. I got the camping yeah. chair, camping <laughs> chair in front of the, the wall of blue rays. Just, uh, oh, just leaning back. That is sick. I should I should just try to find, like, the best view in, like, the living room of my place. But I don't know. I don't want to disturb this my is, roommates for I, five hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is even really good. Like, my, the camera call quality is so shitty where any potential yeah. joy that uh, any autist seeing uh, this video feed would have of like zooming the i don't think they couldn't tell i'm trying to see i can't really yeah i can't really i'm sure the real color tones (laughs) i'm looking right now i know right behind jt the top of his head is the uh yojimbo sanjuro duo set and (laughs) absolutely that is the trilogy (laughs) (laughs) i can't really tell anything else off top but uh maybe is that is that the eisenstein dvd box like all the way to the left there I think I have that, but I don't know if that's not the uh, big red one. That's like a uh, no, no, that's not it. Oh, I see the Marx Brothers yeah. one. That's easy to see. Yeah. Big old yeah, text. Yeah. <laughs> this is fun. We should just do this. <laughs> yeah, I spy. We're <laughs> <I spy. laughs> gonna hit record on my audacity since we're kind of on a bit of a cool. time crunch. And hey, well, yeah. plenty of time to socialize. We're gonna be on this call for fucking hours today. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Oh, great. My audacity didn't record that time. Uh, let me try one more time. I'll start recording too. Yeah, I'm recording. I'm doing the heavy breathing because I'm getting mad. Going wind horsed mode. <laughs> You're a raging bull, man. You know, see, you, you, you keep huffing and puffing until you get your way. So, audacity says I have four tracks, but it won't record. <laughs> What does it mean? That's my Brian Windhorst impression uh, for the, the sports fans out there watching the video feed. <laughs> um, okay, cool. Now, if you are listening, the audio has changed over from Zoom audio to my real microphone. So it turns out the podcast machine, it's a little on the fritz, but it's not broken. The power supply at my old apartment was so bad that it couldn't fucking handle a 15 watt uh, fucking piece of audio equipment. Like no input in my house uh, in my old apartment would allow that to happen. And for those of you uh, listening to extended clip and not really keeping up with me online otherwise, which is really the way to go, I would say keep me <laughs> in the extended clip vacuum. It's fun getting the Eddie updates, though. You know, I love the Eddie saga. If you don't know the the personal side of things, I was uh, kicked out of my apartment recently and I uh, had, a, had a kind of a very strange confrontation that i might drop in a sample of uh soon at some point in the uh the the upcoming montages because there were some there were some really great line deliveries there in retrospect but uh 
I am safe once again after after JT was sweet enough to put me up on his couch for a few days. And, you know, for those listening to the Art and Sports podcast as well, that's not happening for the next couple of weeks. I'm sorry. I'm just like, I can't even watch basketball games. I'm so busy trying to find a place to live. And, uh, you know, now I have this place to live, but I got to unpack and everything. And hey, you know what else I got to do? I got to watch the movies. That's why you come to us, the movies. So no matter what, we are watching the movies. Uh, I, this morning, woke up to an apartment that was full of boxes, my new apartment, with no furniture but this couch and a uh, tiny little side table that I propped my computer up on and watched the movies for today's recordings. But it's episode 259, and I am one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JC White. And episode 259 is a long-running series now on Extended Clip. It's one of these episodes. It's called the Extended Clip Executive Decision. That's right, baby. Uh, You get to pick the movie. You, the viewer, the listener. Once you bump that pledge up to $15 a month on Patreon and become an executive producer of Extended Clip, you get to choose the topic of one episode. So... Um, well, we, you know, the name reading is also part of the executive, uh, visit, yeah. you know, decision. It's included in one of the perks. Everyone loves I'm, a good name reading. Of course, you have to know the name. I mean, you know, but I, I will say this is not a this is an inverse plug. Patreon, your website kind of sucks. Not great. <laughs> not a great website. It, the, I mean, it's uh, true. the user it's experience, true. not one of my favorite user experiences out there, but we do have the name here. Uh, so this one was picked by Cameron Fairchild. Now, Cameron Fairchild, he has been uh, a, a, a long time member of the clip, bumped up to $15, and now we are giving him his due here uh, on this episode, talking about Fritz Lang's House by the River. Now... Malcolm, JT, you guys know your Fritz Lang, right? Had you seen this one before? Yeah, actually, I had seen this one before. And, I, I, you know, kind of uh, examining Lang's filmography, because I feel like we uh, did an episode with Will Sloan where we did, what was it, Beyond a Reasonable Doubt or something? So it kind of just made me examine, like, what Lang's I had watched. And it is kind of funny. It's like, oh, wow, I'm kind of, like, more... I'm consuming more like American Lang than maybe even like, you know, some of his like German early classics or mm-hmm. whatever. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, both times around this movie was, you know, very enjoyable. And I don't know, it's just it's Lang's such a, a special talent and he worked in kind of like so many different scenarios, you know, mm-hmm. as a director, you know, and had such an interesting life on top of that. But like. I don't know, just it's it's very impressive that, you know, even kind of like some of like you could kind of feel like this movie kind of has like a lower budget. It's very kind of like limited to a few locations, but Lang with his flourishes and just, a you know, uh, film grammar, film knowledge, like he just he, he knows how to take, you know, some of the more, I don't know, basic classic setups and get so much out of them. And I feel like this movie's no different. It's 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 really good. I think JT, had you seen this one before? Um, no, I feel like I also did what uh, Malcolm had, where you're taking stock of the Langs you have in your stable. You gotta take inventory. I think it's uh, step eight in recovery. Uh, take inventory. <laughs> As a recovering cinephile, you know, I gotta yeah. count how many Fritz Lang movies I've seen and how many people I've hurt because of that. And honestly, I feel like 
my uh, experience with his filmography mostly veers towards like the earlier end uh, with uh, his German silent stuff and the Mabusas. And then, I mean, which obviously that spans his whole career, but I mean, most of those are in the German period. But even then, the little bit I had seen is the early noirs uh, from him. And obviously this is in more of that realm, but it feels like, I don't know, just smaller budget, a little bit more low key uh, than what the scale I had seen him uh, work at before. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I, I knew I was in for, uh, something, something great. I, uh, generally like all the lying I've seen. Yeah, this is definitely, uh, one of the lower budget ones I've seen from him. Other than, you know, when we watched Beyond a Reasonable Doubt, that was also a very stripped down movie. But this one, I feel like has still, uh, the cinematography is still leading into his expressionistic style. Even if it is very low budget, it's for Republic Pictures, which is kind of a uh, a B-movie factory that a lot of the great auteurs went to to pull off more ambitious projects or even just when they couldn't get a job at one of the bigger studios. So it's a Republic Pictures drama where we have here, I'm going to pull up the cast list real quick because these aren't exactly like your everyday classic Hollywood uh, players, you know, like if you're a real head, you know, all these actors, but you know, so you, you got Lewis Hayward in the lead and Lee Bowman as his brother, John Lewis Hayward plays Steven and he's a uh, successful enough writer who you know successful enough to have uh, a nice estate with plenty of servants working for him and uh, very early on in the film his, his gardener uh, I believe it's uh, Ann Shoemaker as Mrs. Ambrose tells him that you, know, you gotta spice things up write, write some saucy racy shit that's what the people want and right then I knew oh this is Fritz Lang going into like real down and dirty B-movie mode uh, despite the stuffy appearances and the fact that Stephen has that mid-Atlantic Fraser-esque accent. Uh, the funniest part is that his brother doesn't have that accent, and it's just like, yeah. how do you not? And then I remembered Fraser, and I was like, well, Marty doesn't have the accent, so maybe it, uh, it's it's yeah, truly well, a selective thing. I think that's very intentional with all the yeah. kind of like the class stuff that is going on in the movie, and kind of like you know, uh, you didn't really describe it yet, but you know, the movie centers around. One, you know, Stephen, the Stephen character, you know, murdering his uh, maid, I believe, or someone who works on the premises for him. Yeah, she and, was the uh, new maid, Emily, who he murders because he tries to come on to her. And when she rejects his advances, he strangles her uh, to death kind of accidentally to try to like cover up the noise or whatever. Yeah, he's trying to keep her quiet. And throughout the movie, there's a lot of references to kind of like... Uh, you know, uh, the brother, Lee Bowman, his maid kind of being like, well, I come from like a genteel family. Or, and uh, Stephen even kind of mentions like there's a rumor that, you know, as the, the murder goes to public trial, there's like a rumor that Lee Bowman was sleeping with that maid. And like Stephen's like to his wife, it's like, oh, he could never get an upper class woman. You know what <laughs> I mean? So maybe I'm re maybe I'm putting too much emphasis but like that 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 uh accent is definitely him pronouncing himself as an important upper class writer who's living a luxurious you know upper class lifestyle absolutely he has the the Cary Grant accent you know mm -hmm. uh and I I really love the opening image after like the opening credits and stuff the first time we see the titular house by the river uh it's showing it as a matte painting 
and all we really see is the foregrounded stuff, which is the river with a dead animal floating by it. And of course, the body that he hides, he hides in the river, which resurfaces eventually, uh, as it does in most movies uh, that kind of have this type of structure. But I, I really love that opening shot after the credits as an introduction to this place where if you're taking it kind of um, metaphorically, this matte painting background of the house is almost like the the house is all fake and it's all appearances and the river is real uh, in this shot because you see, you know, the actual water flowing and the uh, the corpse of the animal floating on top of it. But you don't actually see a house. You see a fake background of a house. Uh, and so I, I like that metaphor as, of course, the, the water is what treads up this corpse uh, and also the sec- the presumed second corpse is someone walks out of the water and, and the water is like what you know, sheds the truth in all of these mysteries. And I, I really like that as a, uh, not the smartest, the most clever uh, metaphorical image, but it's just like kind of perfect for the situation. The way kind of Lang goes about this movie, it's kind of, you know, maybe like, like you said, clever, you know, isn't the best word, but it is, it is clever. It's not like the most high IQ stuff or whatever, but that's, you know, that's no mean to insult it. It's kind of mm-hmm. Lang just kind of simplifying with the material and kind of, I don't know, doing very classic film stuff, kind of establishing something and then giving you the payoff at the end. But Lang, I don't know, he just does it in a very satisfying way. You know, he uses, you know, expressive cinematography to kind of emphasize it. Like I think of the setting of the mirror and the stairs at the beginning where we kind of see the Steven character at the very beginning lurk around in the mirror and like pour himself a drink. And then he's like listening to the maid that he, you know, he tries to rape waiting for her to come down throughout the movie. It's just like Steven's always at like the bottom of the stairs lurking around, you know, waiting to see like if his wife is going to come out and he's going to change his attitude or whatever, dependent on that. I do love the extent this movie goes to show that the main character Steven is just such a sadistic, depraved guy, and yeah. uh, a lot of a lot of that's happening when he's looking in the mirror down by the stairs. You know what I mean? He kind of, that's kind of like his uh, place to look in the mirror and kind of evilly scheme and whatnot. This is where I come to think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how much of it is a reading that you can do, like after the fact, with a lot of older Hollywood product, but. The Steven character, I mean, obviously heavily through Hayward's performance. And I mean, I think the Atlanta, the uh, transatlantic accent certainly helps, but he does feel like one of those old kind of queer coded like villains. Yeah, totally. He, he lusts after Emily, but it's like, it's totally a emasculation thing almost where what Malcolm was saying about her descending the stairs. I, I kept thinking about how, when she, when the maid is descending the stairs with the perfume, it triggers him because he just fucking hates his wife so much. And he has, like, watched her come down those stairs so many times and just been like, oh, my God, again? <laughs> uh, and then so when the, this new maid comes through who he's, like, maybe a little actually attracted to, it just triggers, like, the worst instincts in him. And he just goes full bore. JT, go on. Sorry. Bringing the perfume in it, like, it totally ties into this whole, like... The understanding of like masculinity i feel like again like he's not because of how much he hates his wife as as well and is like totally separate from her and is just 
Not not to say. I mean, I'm sure there are some writers here in this room, but the 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 fact that he's just daintily writing himself the whole time. He's a very effete kind of a gentleman. So I feel like that certainly lends into that uh, type of reading. And I mean, again, it's not something that I feel like the success of the film hinges on it for me, but it is one of those interesting aspects uh, to see, I don't know, a more queer-coded old Hollywood villain. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I feel like I didn't really pick up on that, but maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just secretly gay and acting like that guy, and I, I didn't even know it. It's either that Malcolm's secretly gay and doesn't see it, or JT thinks everyone's gay. <laughs> the That's gay just like just, the the academic yeah. way. Yeah, the academic way of being just like a '90s style homophobe. Just like, yeah, I think that character is actually kind of queer coded. If, if you know, if I'm writing a paper on that movie, that guy's queer coded, right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that director is queer coded. Just like directors you don't like. <laughs> that fucking movie Swingers. That was pretty queer coded. I don't know. <laughs> I, I really love how far Lang leans into the stylistic like emulation of what his main character is thinking though. Like he makes the film feel so dark and depraved in these small moments. Like when he is intercutting the, the maid taking a bath while uh, he's starting to scheme uh, the, the possibilities of what he could do to this maid. And, and then later when the brother shows up and he's just like, holy shit, who's at the door already? And you get that incredible shot shot uh where like almost everything is blacked out it's almost like a maybe an eighth of the screen is like a little lit up square where you see uh, a face peering in kind of and i don't know I, I i just love how it can shift into these like nightmare-esque super chiaroscuro uh expressionist high contrast black and white setups and then just fade right back into the more grayish uh typical low budget b movie <laughs> stuff and you know, who knows if it's like some days they had more time to work on the lighting or if Lang is really pulling the strings, like going back and forth between a pot boiler drama and an expressive noir type thing, you know? Yeah. Or, you know, sometimes you just like, like we're going to get some more visual emphasis on these scenes. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the courtroom scenes will kind of just play like classic, you know, courtroom yeah. scenes. And, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, you, you mentioned kind of like the nightmare energy and kind of the Kiroskiro, like, like that. Yeah. Like, I feel like I was looking at like, you know, some reviews for it and a lot of people compare it to a dream. And I think, you know, that's very spot on and kind of, uh, just the vast darkness that like, uh, both the house and kind of like the river contain, you know, when, uh, kind of like, uh, Stevens, you know, manically rowing on it. And, uh, yeah, just, I, it is kind of very impressive Lang just giving off these just super dark shots. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, you know, at the beginning of the movie, I, you know, I, I kind of forgot what the movie was about. I forgot there was a murder and it's like, damn, this guy's <laughs> living like a luxurious lifestyle. He's got, you know, May, he's an author and whatnot. And, uh, it gets dark pretty quickly, but I, like for I don't know for a second I I, I was just thinking the movie was going to be kind of like a different turn you know maybe a lighter turn but you know obviously the movie gets I, I feel like this movie is kind of impressive like how dark it kind of gets with like the Stephen character and it's all visually represented with 
yeah, no, amount of darkness. I love like so quickly. Like I hadn't seen this one before, and I love how quickly you get into that territory of dark intensity. And I mean, certainly it's like a lower budget film, so I feel like they have kind of more of a freedom there with the uh, content. But it, it, it was surprising. I, I don't know. I feel like very rarely do you see like the lead of a film murder a woman within like the first 10 minutes. And yeah. it's just like, oh, okay. Now, now, like, this is what we're cooking with, with this movie. <laughs> and it's so like extreme too, because I love, I love the cutting back and forth between like him or, or I guess the perspective of having like looked out the window, seeing, uh, the other like uh, woman keeping the house, like going to do, like do some stuff in the garden and maybe catch them at first, but uh, he just hits the ground running with this. I also love the the relationship that slowly gets unveiled between the brother uh, and his wife Marjorie. So it's like John who is protecting his secret, you know. So he gets his brother John to help him uh, cast this body, barge this body out to sea uh, into the river. That is, and I guess this river is just a circle, and stuff just keeps popping back up the same stuff <laughs> every few days because I don't know how else that works physically. But that's kind of the, the mysticism that's... of the movie, and like that the the water is the truth you know that it'll wash up the truth eventually no matter what even if it's you know not really the way rivers usually work but who knows could be uh but anyway his brother john has these scenes with the wife where it's like almost leaning at flirtation and the wife like asks him if he's lonely and that this is another one where slowly like cut after cut the scene starts to get more and more intense visually uh, and like the black and white contrast really ramps up. And then uh, one of the other servants that still works there, like comes into the room to ask her something and the lighting just goes totally gray again. And I love how clearly expressionistic Lang is playing that, how like the, the romance heating up between uh, John, the brother and Marjorie, the wife of our main character uh, is like, that's what's going to do him in in the end, maybe. That, or at least it gives you the th- the feeling that that might be what does them in. And it, it's really playing into all of these uh, kind of seedy, racy uh, conspiracies within the plot. And hey, that's what the gardener asked for in the beginning. She she said, spice it up, <laughs> make it racy. That's what the public wants. You know, so this could be uh, it, this is what you want, huh? Kind of thing by Lang. And I, I love that. You know, if this movie and like the main character being an author, it's like, you know, an often talk discussion in the art world is separating the art from the artist. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, I don't know. It kind of feels like Lang's making a case against that here, you know, which is, you know, just kind of funny or just like not really, but just like going to the lengths of like this guy who's like. Like, ultimately, this guy's kind of doing this right to make his book better, ultimately. That's kind of, like, what springs it off. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just funny that he's going to, like, these depraved lengths. And kind of, like, also, like, lying to himself. Like, making him, you know, believe that something else happened. And just going to these insane uh, lengths just to improve the quality of his book. And I like like the scenes uh, kind of in the middle where... Like, he's writing a book and he won't let his wife see or whatever. Like, it is just funny how insanely uh, guilty Stephen comes off to those around him. And, like, he's just, like, writing this book of murder. It's like, well, they say, 
you know, you got to write something, you know, and he like, and I think he like, he starts like evilly, like shaking his head when that yeah. happens. It, well, if it, I it, it is make kind of, a murder, I'll be able to write about it. <laughs> Yeah, no, in the, I love the middle of this movie where it's just the guilt creeping up on him and him and his brother just getting super aggro at the women in their lives. <laughs> like His brother is so pissed at his housekeeper. Like, she just serves him breakfast. He's like, fuck you. I don't want your breakfast. Like, <laughs> and then our, our lead is just so pissed at his wife. He's like, no, you can't read my fucking book. <laughs> I love how the maid's like, you came late for dinner now it's cold or whatever and he's like and like obviously he's thinking like god damn I, I shouldn't have helped my brother cover up that murder and just i don't know like the, the, the her not obviously how could she know but like her not realizing the stakes it's definitely like you know it's played in a light comedic way i feel mm-hmm. like in, in the movie and uh um you know hey you know i i don't have a maid i would treat my maid nice but i don't know sometimes if you have a maid, she might get on your nerves. Just just a realistic thing, you know? <laughs> Wouldn't know. Uh, yeah, exactly. I love the, uh, the suspense sequence that follows of him prodding at a dead body. Like, it's the most intense suspense sequence of the whole thing. It's just, like, him in a river in the grass just, like, poking a dead body with a stick. And I, I really love how, like immature that is almost and uh how how lang is inviting you to kind of laugh at this guy who's let his life ravel out of control for this like literary flight of fancy you know yeah it is i mean the river the novel the setting in general it's just like so fascinating because i love that like uh i feel like there is a strain of noirs where i always associate like noir detective stuff big city crime and to see this like transplanted to like uh i don't know smaller sort of like get a little bio creole <laughs> sort of flavor to it is fun and it is like i don't know it made me think of and it's not like a direct like analog but i think uh the name of the film is it's anthony mann's reign of terror that's like a uh, 1700s noir. I like, Ooh. I don't know, freaking that style out and putting it to a slightly different setting. I mean, again, this is uh, like set in a more contemporary time when it was made. Uh, but I, again, it's like, I don't know, I feel like you're not seeing a lot of boating. And I mean, especially the like prodding the dead body scene in particular. It's just like you're not you're not getting that in the city. Yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, you know it is a noir, but it, like it, this movie, like it almost feels like a gothic horror movie too, in a way, with the emphasis on the house and the location and kind of like I don't know, like there's a lot of uh, house interplay, people in like uh, appearing in door frames, you know, like what I was talking about earlier, kind of like Stephen at the bottom of the stairs and. It all plays into it. And, you know, the fact that there's murder and kind of like ghostly visions that appear to Steven. I mean, literally, literally Steven's killed by a ghost at the end of the movie. That's what we're or, you know, mm-hmm. I guess he, he's so ridden well, by as guilt close as you can get of, to being killed by a ghost outside yeah. of a horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it's very interesting. It's it's uh, I think Lang's he's uh, he's making a pretty good stew here we got a little bit of noir a little gothic a little horror yeah. a little a jambalaya if you a j- will a jambalaya <laughs> fritz <laughs> damn fritz lang went down to new orleans and he made uh, the best pot of gumbo you know uh, <laughs> cinematic gumbo 
Um, I'm sure that's what the Richard Roper review was at the time. Like this new this new gumbo from Fritz Lang is a New Orleans classic. <laughs> Little gothic gumbo. <laughs> that would be like some bespoke uh, letterbox sponsored uh, like meal prep kit. Like uh, <laughs> try the <laughs> jambalaya Southern Gothic <laughs> presented to you by. Eve's Bayou. <laughs> Just the phrase letterbox based meal prep kit is is enough for me. That that that's a yeah, that's, they re- uh, uh, like uh, it'll happen, dude. Up. It'll happen. <laughs> Hello Fresh and Letterboxd are getting together by the end of next year no matter what. <laughs> It may just popcorn delivers you popcorn yeah. five five days a week to popcorn delivery service. <laughs> popcorn and hot dogs. God. I'm I'm Jared from Subway, and I lost 500 pounds on the movie theater diet. <laughs> I'm Jared from Subway, and I lost 500 pounds only eating chop chop chop. So the the cops show up and say, "Hey, is this your sack?" Uh, and then it becomes a courtroom movie for the last 25 minutes or so. Uh, but I I kind of I kind of get that, you know. Um, mm-hmm. it, it it makes sense, and uh, yeah, I, I I think it's uh quite good it's like uh the the way that it turns into a courtroom movie feels very efficient and it kind of keeps up the the hothouse atmosphere and the the lawyer that's like cross-examining them is such a ham with his curly thin mustache and his like undersized floral shirt because he's kind of a fat guy and he's like rubbing his belly the whole time he's examining yeah. them it's <laughs> it's so good i noticed that well, he's interesting because he kind of has, like, his frame looks like he would be a normal weight, but he kind of just has a big belly, I feel mm-hmm. like. And, like, um, there's, like, even a scene where he has, like, his leg perched and, like, the belly is, like, facing forward the camera and, like, you really get him, like, rubbing it. It, it is kind of a <laughs> strange performance, I have to say, kind of in the middle of the movie. But I, I, I think the court, the courthouse stuff, you know, works. And I feel like... I don't know, just showing the the maid's parents and kind of like the sorrow that they're going through is kind of like, I don't know, I think a good note and kind of, I don't know, Lane kind of gives more weight to to the tragedy of that stuff than maybe, I don't know, other noir murder mystery movies would. He, he really kind of grounds it in the reality of like, this is like a rich man murdering a poor maid and he could kind of get away with it. Um, yeah, so the, it turns out that they basically get off because it's like, uh, it's, you know, oh, this girl was murdered, but we don't know from who. And, you know, the, 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 uh, final confrontation between the brothers right on the water is so harrowing where he, uh, (laughs) Steven asks his brother, who would the world miss more? And it's just like, his brother is the one coming to this moral crisis where he wants to confess. Uh, and he just like totally moral relativitized him or whatever but he's like hey i'm an author you're just some fucking schmo you know so i'm gonna blame you if anything uh and that's when he tries to kill his brother and doesn't get away with it uh and yeah he, he goes inside to kill his wife too and he basically ends up committing suicide after seeing the ghost and it's just like it's it's a perfectly uh like kind of a perfect circle edgar Allan poe type uh like horror story almost the way it wraps up uh despite the the noir stylings and the courtroom drama stylings and everything like that but uh yeah i i think this is a a very very good movie i'm kind of leaning between 
you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go four stars on House by the River. I I, I think this is a great movie, and uh, I think you should watch it. Four <laughs> bullets, that is. Sorry, I'm out. Of yeah, I'll, I'll go four bullets as well. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed the movie and this the ending that we kind of talked about already. And uh, I like Stephen kind of like in the last fifteen minutes kind of is like throws abandon to the wind and like he's just talking crazy to people like i think when he confronts his wife with being in love with his brother and he's like she's like well i smell that cheap perfume and he's like that cheap perfume brings a lot of thrills to me or whatever you know what i mean just like just being like rubbing it in in her face that he cheats on her and stuff like that and uh you know kind of already made up in his mind that he's gonna you know dispose of his wife and his brother you know to i guess you know keep uh, keep himself out of jail keep his literary career going and uh yeah it coalesces perfectly with a, a ghost killing him or you know him being enraptured by guilt and thinking there's a ghost but uh you know that that basically is a ghost right you know what i mean that's that's basically you know if you think a ghost is there that's it's kind of a ghost you know like a, exactly believe the victim <laughs> exactly he's a victim so yeah our our protagonist ends up um, becoming a victim of ghost homicide, a real issue, but, um, uh, you know, a little, a little something that, uh, you know, Lang wanted to draw attention to, uh, <laughs> the ghost or homicide. <laughs> yeah. Ex- at that movie ghost with, uh, Patrick Swayze, it kind of, you know, if you really saw these ghosts out here and what they're up to, you wouldn't be, think they're so cool or sexy or sex. Yeah. You wouldn't want to have sex with them, which is my yeah. main gripe. Um, I remember. Uh, but, <laughs> I, do you remember in Crawl Show when they uh, they were doing the the Ghost Hunter parody, and it was just like John Daly and uh, Nick Kroll freaking out over the fact that there was a painting of a virgin whore that was a ghost, and it was just like <laughs> to me that's just like it's all the Southern Gothic shit wrapped up. It's just like, oh, bro, she was a virgin whore. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but like yeah this is tapping into the same thing it's like this girl who maybe she was a a spinster as that like a lady described her and maybe she was an innocent young nerd innocent young maid you know who knows Mm -hmm. uh which way she actually went in her personal life whether she was the virgin or the whore as it were uh but like now she's just a ghost and that's always going to loom and especially in the way ghosts are uh, represented in film in the the male female or any way a romantic perspective is always gonna have that extra layer of oomph if you will so yeah just i feel like lang just his cinematography and um just he's still pushing things visually to a level and like uh just that one shot of like kind of the slanted view of the dock at the lake towards the end is like to me is like the best (laughs) shot in the movie and it's just so Mm. just so money like i i was definitely I was definitely geeking out having a nice shot moment, you know, and I yeah. mean, watching the movie, but it, it is a, I don't know. He, he could, I think what's great about Lang um, and him working with these low budgets, it's like he could even, I don't know, there could be scenes maybe that just feel like maybe even not as good as that one. Kind of like, you know, obviously towards the end, the brothers confronting each other on the dock, that's going to be a juicy scene, but I feel like an even some of the quote unquote lesser scenes, he just has, he knows what punctuation to put on it to kind of just give it a, a certain sense of style. And uh, I don't know, I just think that's a really great skill and just shows, I don't know, like a, 
a lot of creativity being able to work in any uh, budget, you know what I mean? Not, not all directors can do that. So uh, I, I got to give Lang credit for his versatility. JT, any final thoughts in a rating? Uh, yeah, I'm going three and a half bullets on this one. I, too, I like, I don't know, Eddie, before we got generous Eddie today, giving out the, just throwing out four <laughs> stars, I, uh, um, I don't know, I, I'm teetering between the two, so who knows, maybe a, a later viewing of House by the River, it could bump it up for me. But yeah, no, this, it's, it's really good. I, I liked it a whole lot. Again, Kind of jumping off of uh, what Malcolm had just said about it's interesting to see Lang as a guy just firing off at any budget. It's great to see, like, I mean, not great to see because the course of his career is kind of going down of, like, the <laughs> amount of money that and resources that he had. But this, I mean, it's like six years before uh, Beyond a Reasonable Doubt, which is so sparse that I kind of, I don't know. I, I like, I don't want to say like the visual style of that more, but it's interesting to see him work with even less than this. But I, I, I don't know. This is a fun intermediary. You still see like a lot of amazing formal style as always. Again, like I just, it's fun to see reverberations and echoes of things throughout his career. I think the, like the way he achieves that ghost effect at the end where it's the the murdered woman sort of in like overlaying over the drapes as they like kind of wrap around his neck and like choke him it's insane and again it very uh dr mabusa i think the gambler is the one where there's some weird overlays where some <laughs> hypnosis is happening there and it's just like Lang, like even at this point, not like like just into the fifties, and he's going to have like this is nineteen fifty, right? So it's just like mm-hmm. he, there's so much more still in his career, but he already has such a such a big bag of tricks that he mm-hmm. can uh, dig into and pull out, and just uh, I don't know. I it's always a treat to see uh, anything of his throughout his career. I forgot what filmmaker it was that we were talking about recently that I said had a sneaky deep bag. Uh, <laughs> Fritz Lang has a not sneaky deep bag. It's very obvious. You watch one of his movies and you're like, holy shit, this guy's got a bag of fucking tricks. Um, but, you know, that's enough about He's Lang. He's up with his- Santa's sack. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, we'll be right back on Extended Clip. about um, this sack. Ever seen it before? Would you like me to tell my wife that you've been dipping into her perfume? I don't care! Let me go! Let me go! Let me go! Let me go! I don't know. Sacks look pretty much alike. Sacks look pretty much alike. And, and, and we're back. That thing's floated by again, Stephen. In with one tide, out with the other. I'm in with one tide, out with the other. I'm in with one tide, out with the other. I'm in with one tide, out with the other. I'm sick of it. Don't get upset, Mrs. Ambrose. It's due to sink any day now. It's about um, this sack. Ever seen it before? That sack. Right. Pretty much alive. And we're back on extended clip. It's Malcolm in the middle. Life is unfair. Malcolm, 
how's life been treating you lately? Because I know it ain't fair to me. Yeah, you know, it's a uh, it life's fair. Life's fair. And I saw a new movie called Eileen uh, by William Oldroyd. Eileen on what? <laughs> It's just the name Eileen, Eddie. I'm not leaning on anything. But, uh, you know, I guess I should clarify. I should be clear. Eileen, I gotta... I, sh- I, sh- I should do it the right way. Right format. All caps. Eileen 2023. That's what I'm talking about. Because um, I don't want to yell to... I don't know. I feel like that'd be too abrasive to for an all caps joke. It, it wouldn't. It would be kind of awkward. But um, but that is Eileen. what it looks like when you put a film title in all caps. Yeah, it, it is. It sounds like you're screaming it from the mountaintops. But you know, uh, sometimes it's okay to use your inside voice. Is my opinion. You know, uh, Eileen, 2023. It's a 1960s Massachusetts, and we got an unhappy prison secretary played by uh, Thomas and McKenzie. And she's basically like a loser. She has no support in life. You know, I, I say that sympathetically, but yeah, she has nothing kind of going <laughs> on. She, um, you know, she fantasizes about other people. She seems to masturbate a lot in her free time. And uh, Anne Hathaway is a new prison psychologist that's br- brought into the prison that she works at. And they kind of create a bond, uh, you know, a work friend, you know, classic work friend situation, um, older, younger dynamic going on there. But of course, you know, they might be closer than friends, you know, that the Thomas and Mackenzie character is hoping. And, you know, she kind of grows attached to her, you know, kind of in this small Massachusetts town where she doesn't have uh, many friends and whatnot. And uh, her dad, played by Shea Wiggum, is a... Uh, you know, a voracious alcoholic, can't stop drinking, can't stop insulting her. And uh, it kind of seems like it's going to take, like, maybe, like, uh, I don't know, like, there's kind of a tone throughout the movie where kind of, like, we just kind of see this relationship kind of build between Thomas and Mackenzie and Anne Hathaway. And you're thinking, like, is there going to be, you know, some lesbian romance, you know what I mean, going on here. That's what the uh, Eileen wants, the Thomas and Mackenzie character obviously wants. And then, uh, I guess I won't spoil it since it is a new movie, but it, it takes it takes a twist, and it's not quite that, and it kind of turns into kind of more of like a potboiler thriller uh, thing. And to be honest, I, you know, I thought the movie was enjoyable enough. I, I, I kind of just... I might be an easy mark, but I've, I've, I've been just enjoying movies that are kind of like set in the snow and kind of like the East Coast and kind of just reveling in that. I know you guys live in the snow and live in the East Coast, so maybe it's, it, it doesn't maybe it doesn't quite hit the same for you guys. You know, the reality of actually having to walk through snow and, you know, all that stuff and being cold. But and this movie kind of revels in that atmosphere and. You know, it does the Massachusetts thing, but not, like, to an obnoxious ex- extent. Just kind of gives it a, a sense of flavor. And I don't know. I, I kind of just was... So, it, it was by doing enough. the Massachusetts thing and it being a yeah. late 60s Boston movie, does that mean we see the conception of Bill Simmons? Like, we see his parents have sex? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where Bill Simmons would be in this movie. I'm trying to think. Well, because he was born in like 70 or 69, probably. Was he conceived after a Celtics game, you would imagine? <laughs> I mean, you gotta <laughs> think 68 Celtics. Yeah, toward the end of that dynastic run, you know, his dad's like, I gotta get it in, you know. 
they did not get the um, the high budget NBA endorsement. There were no Celtics gear, no uh, <laughs> no Patriots gear. I don't think the NFL was quite established that heavily then. But uh, yeah, it's, we don't. I don't. I don't even think we even get like a, a sports sports fan. Uh, you know what I mean? Like Massachusetts, you think there'd be like a random sports fan character. Also, I guess this movie is an adaptation of of an Otessa. Fuck, that's a hard mosh fig or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I know she has the the. It's the book that all the sad women like. The, exactly. My, yeah, my rest year. And re, your rest and relaxation. Get yeah. the so author I, I her, guess, her due credit. It's a highly regarded book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, all I, the sad women like. <laughs> I know. I know <laughs> some. Uh, I know some men who fish for the attraction of women who also like that book. <laughs> I mean, to be reading, I, like watching this movie, I you know, I guess I didn't give it the highest of praises, but it kind of seems like, I don't know, maybe like a type of book I would read. You know what I mean? It, it kind of there's some there's there's some interest there. Um, I don't know. I t- it's I guess I, I I'm giving this movie a light thumbs up just because I don't know. Just I don't, I, I kind of liked it, but I I don't really have strong feelings about it, and I feel like I'll forget it. So. In terms of like, I feel like there there should be a light. The light thumbs up is like a head nod. Like exactly. if you saw them on the street, you'd be like, "Sup?" Like, exactly. Uh, it's kind of casual. Kind of like I don't want to go to bat and be like, "Guys, you got to see Eileen. You got to see Eileen." But like, I feel like I chose the right choice going to see that over like Napoleon or something yeah. like that. You know, I mean, it's shorter, I didn't right? See it. Yeah, it's shorter. It's uh, it's all that matters. I think it's like ninety minutes. Yeah, that's all. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to get out of the theater. In I hate movies quickly as possible. I'm just, I was told that I actually roll. do hate movies, and that I don't oh, get. Yeah. You know, I don't give a good star ratings because I hate movies. So maybe that is me. Who knows? That is true. Uh, def- yeah, Eddie. Eddie definitely going under three on Eileen if you were to see it. But uh, oh, really, absolutely. what if yeah. what if I like the what if I like the source material? Well, then maybe you'd get, I think you'd give it a three then if you like okay. the source material. Okay, so it's the, the aesthetic of the movie is just not my bag, probably. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's bad, but it's not very like stylistic, I guess. Yeah, just the general vibe, even rather than the aesthetic presentation. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that more so. I saw that, that was so. playing out here, and I had literally never heard of it. It elicited a, "What the hell is Eileen?" from me, but uh, I'm you know I'm still trying to catch up on all the year's releases, so. I might end up doing that just because, like, honestly, dude, I'm, I'm looking right now. My top 10 sucks this year. It's like, I got, <laughs> let me tell you what's on the bubble right now. That's all I'm going to say because I'll do my due diligence and this film will not be on my top 10. But Champions is on the bubble. Champions is last <laughs> two in right now. I like that, though. I like I, Champions, I mean, too, but I want to do my due diligence and catch up on, like, the Hamaguchi that I still haven't seen. There's a lot of stuff, though, that's not coming out till next year, and, like, I didn't get to go to festivals this year. I just didn't get right. access regardless. So there's a lot of stuff I haven't seen yet that I'm not going to get to see till 2024, like Benello's The Beast uh, and a lot of other stuff that played festivals. So it's like... Who knows? Maybe Champions will still at least be a bubble pick, like when we do our top 10 in January. I think The Beast is getting like a proper release in 24. Not to play the release date game, but I feel like. I guess that's going to be a 24 movie. That's going to be like a Netflix in 24 movie, but like, I just. I know so many people who have another top 10 for this year. You know, it's the FOMO. <laughs> I mean, I do, I do want to see that movie just generally too. So yeah, yeah, I, I got I got, I got FOMO on the beast. 
Yeah. <laughs> FOMO on the beast. <laughs> they're, call, they're calling it BOMO now for short. <laughs> Remember Domo, that guy? Who? From Target. Domo, the advertisement character. Sorry, JT. Please, Wait, uh, is that, you know. what is that, the dog? He <laughs> was just, it was just a guy, like a monster thing. Domo. Really? Was he just for Target? I don't think. I don't think he was just for Target. Yeah, I think oh, he was oh, like. Oh, oh, I thought you said Gomo with a G. Domo, the um, character. Yeah, yeah I Domo. learned about him from 7-Eleven. <laughs> okay, yeah, maybe that's what yeah, it is. They had his little plushy dolls at 7-Eleven. <laughs> There were a lot of kids in my high school that were really into him. Domo was the man. Domo had it going on back then. <laughs> was he associated with that game Little Big Planet, or did they just have similar designs? I think it's similar looking guys. Because that was honestly kind of a fun game, I, I, I have to say. Hell yeah. You guys ever play Domo. Little Big Planet? <laughs> I know, I but I, I, was, I was intensely jealous of people who had... It was a PlayStation... Three? Yeah, it was four? a PlayStation 3 creative side scroller. Yeah, no, I was Ooh. jealous of people who had it because I didn't. Yeah, but. it was a lot of fun, dude. Like I yeah, I, I would still run that back. <laughs> I would run that back right now. Yeah, let's yeah. You Welcome to the Little Big Podcast. Uh I am one of your hosts, Little Big Eddie. <laughs> JT, did you watch anything good this week? Uh I've been watching a little bit less, but I did uh manage to watch a new short film uh from one of our favorite guys, Damon Packard. Oh, it was yes. a lot of a lot of fellas in our circle have seen this movie, potentially because it speaks to a kind of lifestyle that they might have <laughs> currently lead, have led at one point. Uh but it's the man who couldn't miss screenings. Uh and uh I've seen, like, just, I haven't seen them, like, in sat down and watched all of them, but, like, I know Packard has been cooking with a lot of these AI video uh, creation tools and has, like, uploaded a few, like, shorts that he made with AI. And it's, like, if there is one man who can, like, actually use that to productive means, it's Packard. Uh, And... The man who couldn't miss screenings is just, like, either one... I mean, it's hard to... Like, with the AI bullshit, it's hard to tell, like, an exact, like, layout of what's going on. And the bodies and things are all distorted in a way that obviously helps, like, uh, a typical Packard vision. Uh, But this is a guy who has a Chinese wife or a group of guys with Chinese wives (laughs) that are screaming at them telling them not to go to screenings and they're like no it's 35 millimeter they're not like this doesn't get screened all that often and then just like twisted ai uh recreate or recreations of like the new beverly ticket website just things that like hit like like it's so it cuts so deep and it's so funny um and just like so ugly and gross and then like it's set to like comfortably numb uh, and just like some like moments where like just huge fat guys are like leaping off of buildings as like a bunch of bystanders are like recording them with iPhones. Yeah, it looks like there- the scene from The Happening where all the dudes are jumping off the building in the beginning. But like, yeah, if exactly. that had the aesthetic of Microsoft Open AI or whatever, yeah, yeah, and it's so it's so fucking funny. It's just like the perfect like. I don't know. Just perfect to get like melding together of all these tools um, and content. 
and like Packard is doing the voices uh, for all the characters, and just like it, it fits his style to a T. And like I feel like probably not all of the AI Packard creations because he he spits out like a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like Letterbox doesn't even have like the full sum total of his. He easily has like ten to twenty of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we got to get him I'm, on the fucking podcast, dude. We need to. Yeah. We, we need missed to. our we chance in LA. Malcolm, you got to get him. You got to get him in person True. in LA. In person. Uh, yeah, you well, got go to go one on one with him for the pod. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty certain down. it's easy. I have his Facebook. Yeah, yeah I remember we were talking I, to him on Facebook when we ended the podcast the first time. JT was talking to him on Facebook a lot, and I was really <laughs> hyped on maybe getting it done, but it just never came together. Yeah, that would be cool. That would be cool. He is the man. He is absolutely the beast. I got BOMO for him. <laughs> I got a major BOMO for Damon Packard. <laughs> I also like the John Carpenter one he did uh, with John Carpenter directing at home and smoking a bunch of weed and being like, hey, can we just wrap up the day? Like, I'm tired. I, I just want to stop. I want to stop. Like, it's like, and he's like muttering to himself. It's like, I could make, I could put out pure shit and they'll call it gold. I don't care. Like, you know, it's very, so sick. very funny critique of John Carpenter. <laughs> I mean, sure. It's like Carpenter's yeah. earned the right to do that, but that is what he is at this point. Like, he yeah, hasn't done yeah. anything yeah, good yeah. in 20, he hasn't done anything in 20 years. He hasn't left I mean, his couch in 20 years, basically. What is it? Especially, yeah. Uh, those two TV Master of Horror ones were like 15 years ago, uh, and mm-hmm. then the one with uh, Mrs. Johnny Depp was like 10 years ago, uh, and those are fine, whatever. I think the TV ones suck. A lot of people like that one, but can't get on board with that. Yeah, also, like, Packard is someone who probably would love to direct, you know, a full-budget movie somewhere yeah. where to give them... An oper- and Carpenter has that opportunity. He doesn't care, you know. Obviously, he just doesn't care at all. To. Yeah, yeah. So it's just you know, obviously, how could you not take well, that also position? Also, it's like way? Packard's always had these obsessions with people like that who informed his cinephilic sensibilities, but have like led these lives that he probably sees as disappointments. Whether it's Spielberg, Lucas, or Carpenter, you know, they're people that like obviously even if he seems to completely detest spielberg uh there was a foundational part of his life formed around spielberg uh and i think that's part of the the bitterness and part of the greatness of packard you know absolutely um i watched you know what's funny is i was considering just talking about that one but i i I spit what i wanted to on that one so i could talk about something else i watched i watched a new release just like malcolm did i watched a fire the new film by christian petzold uh this is a little preview because i don't think we'll do our like top 10 of the year thing until late january just because of what i was saying about catch up like you gotta catch up get comprehensive Here's a little preview. A fire is going to be on my top 10, no matter what, unless like eight masterpieces come out in the next two weeks. You know, Uh, a fire is the latest from Christian Petzold, and it sees Thomas Schubert as Leon, uh, a moody writer going on vacation with his buddy uh, to his buddy's mom's vacation home. But then his buddy's mom's buddy is there, some lady named Nadja, some mysterious lady. It's like, I guess she knows my mom. I don't know. She's just going to hang out here, though. 
and he's just like, dude, I got to write, you got to do your dissertation or whatever. And he's just being a total bummer about it. Uh, and it's, it's yet again, uh, another entry in a classic genre for us, the, how are you going to be sad on vacation movie? Uh, and this is very much like, uh, the Eric Romare films that, that exist in that framework. Uh, a lot of people have talked about the, the Romare comparisons here, but that is just part of the equation as Petzold is very slowly building at suspense that covers uh, the interpersonal relationships, the, the inner turmoil of each of these uh, characters and the ecological doom that is impending as there is a forest fire slowly approaching them. Uh, and so, you know, this little vacation spot can exist in a vacuum, but it can also be very representative for people to really project anything about the world right now onto. Uh, Petzold's visual style here is incredible as always. He's so measured and like never too showy. But then it's like every composition, there's no improvement to be made. I, I really, it's hard to describe how sneaky his visual style is because like there, there are some money shots, you know, don't get me wrong. But I feel like if you were to just break down every setup of the movie, you'll find something kind of low key genius in it in the way that either he's staging, shooting, cutting, uh, lighting, etc. He, he's a very steady handed director, you know, who if he's playing with a big conceit like he did in like Phoenix or Transit in terms of the storytelling conceit, the style is going to be even more stripped down so you can understand the thematic conceit. This one, I feel like just reaches such a deeper level of interiority than those movies. Like those movies play at bigger themes probably with history. Uh, but this movie just, you get so deep into these characters. It's beautiful. And uh, yeah, so catch, catch, catch a fire. Hey, they should let me do the marketing. Catch a fire in a theater near you. <laughs> Uh, did you guys see that yet or any of the recent Petzolds? I haven't seen any Petzold. I need to get on that shit. I was going to say, I saw Phoenix in like 2015 and really enjoyed it. And I feel like he's dropped a movie like every year, it seems like, or like, like pretty, at least recently, it's like since like 2019. And like, he's been pretty productive. He has, yeah, I think, he's an like a uh, workhorse. He is an art house workhorse, not Hong Sang Su level, but his uh, his films are obviously bigger productions than that. Uh, maybe you know not on Johnny Toe level either, but uh, the the writing probably takes very long. These are very densely scripted movies, but uh, yeah, he has Transit, Undine, A Fire, and Phoenix, and what is this one? There, there's some sort of like serialized thing that he directed that I, I can't tell if is a real movie or not, but let's just say he's directed a lot since Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely going to watch a fire for catch up just cause I feel like he's someone you got to check out, you know, when you're doing these end of year lists, it seems like, you know, he's always, he's always uh, putting out good stuff that I'm not watching. So I got to get on that. When someone is putting out good stuff that you're not watching, but you know it's good stuff, that's how you know it's the good stuff. Um, <laughs> that was a clumsy way of wrapping that up. But we are going to wrap up a little short here on an extended clip. I know it's not the longest episode, but this movie's like 80 minutes anyway. What do you want from us? We're recording for like five hours today. All right. Give me a fucking break. I'm seeing an hour on the audacity. I think. You yeah, know but there's I mean? cuts. Uh, we're, we're looking at 52 right now, probably in reality. Slow down the podcast by 0. 0.5 and we'll get we'll stretch it to like 
an hour 30. Well, that's yeah. what people realize. That's why I don't guest on other podcasts is because I have to edit myself so rigorously uh, that what you hear is just nothing like. So maybe if it was like a letter correspondence, I could do it like that kind of way of guesting <laughs> on another show. Pen but pal, like you can ask anyone who's shows. been on this show. It's a it's a five hour recording process for a one hour episode. Every time. It's it, we're very masterful. We're kind of yeah. like filmmakers in a way. Yeah, I, I like to think of myself as the uh, Paul Thomas Anderson of podcasting mixed with a little Stanley Kubrick. You know, it's just like it's, you know, it's perfectionism. It's just, you know, drama, perfectionism, comedy, a little bit of everything. Um, that's going to do it for extended clip this week. That was episode 259. So our next one is going to be the best of the year part one and that's not going to be new films we're talking about what we actually care about the best older movies we talked about uh that's going to be a possibly a two-parter and then we're going to have our christmas special uh yeah we're coming up on christmas baby christmas special with will sloan talking about james toback uh i like to call him santa claus uh, yeah you know, what a gift him. for for the viewers yeah. toback and will sloan you, you know it's uh two, your two stocking is full <laughs> full of stocking. allegations and cease and desists <laughs> all right everybody goodbye